Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey Life Church, thank you for joining us again. This is week 20 of our series called Wake Up the House. And we are focusing right now on faith specifically. I want to start by asking you a question. Do you know people who you admire for their faith? Unfortunately, there are fewer and fewer people who are admired for their faith. Is faith even still admirable today? Is it really, really something that people still admire is actually a really good question. Because again, I have to say, unfortunately, people with great faith Many of them today are seen as weird or strange or not in touch with the world and with reality. Listen, we need great women and men of faith to rise up. We need you to stand up. We need you to raise your hands and be counted. And I hope the next few weeks will encourage you and motivate. And for some of you, even maybe change your perspective about having great faith and how valuable you are to this world. Now, I have a few people who I admire and honor for their amazing faith. In our church, in Life Church itself, we we have some amazing men and women of faith. Mark and Gail Hackenbrook, Mark and Elisa Krampitz. Ermery, my wife, is an amazing woman of faith. Halta and Saki, my in-laws, they visit from South Africa. Tremendous faith. We, We have our prayer team filled with faith. So many great people that have faith. And if I didn't mention your name, please don't, don't be upset. I only have 30 minutes to preach and it will take at least that if I have to mention all of you. But, but we do have a church with people that have amazing faith. I have some other mentors outside of the church and people I admire also for their faith. Uh, Pastor Neville and Rena, Rena Norden, always been people that, that has inspired me with their tremendous faith. Pastor Joel from Impact Life Church. Pastor Stephen who most of you know, Yuri Yuster, one of my best friends in South Africa. I'm thankful that I get to know and at times get to be with people who have great faith. The question I would like to ask and hopefully answer today is, is where does that kind of faith comes, come from? How, how did they get great faith and how do we obtain great faith? Maybe for some of you, it might be, how do we get our faith back? Maybe you feel like you had faith, um, like, like you were somebody that, that had an amazing life filled with faith, but because of something that did or did not happen, you lost your faith. Not in Jesus, but in the involvement of him in your life. You lost your confidence in God. For some of you, you just lost your your whole passion for the church. And for the next few weeks, because I feel this is so pivotal for us as believers and people who are followers of Jesus, it, it is so pivotal for us to wake up our faith. I hope that in the next few weeks, for those of you that have lost your faith, that you will again be awoken. So if you're looking for faith, looking to awaken your faith, reawaken your faith, wake up your faith. The next few weeks are so important. And I hope that you will do everything possible to join us because the world needs the body of Christ to be filled with faith. 
Now, we've been doing the HeartStrong um, Discipleship course. For those of you that don't know what it is, it's a course that we've joined a church in Ottawa with Life Center, where for six months we're reading through the New Testament. We've been going for five months. It's been amazing. So we've been following the life of Jesus and also the early church. And here is something that I found that I think is simply amazing. Jesus, throughout the Gospels and reading about it, Jesus only had two things that ever amazed him. I've had a few things that have amazed me in my life. Seeing my wife walk down the aisle, I will never forget that on our wedding day. I was amazed um, because she was stunning and beautiful and crying. And I knew in that moment that she was going to be mine for the rest of my life. And I was amazed that, that I was so blessed to have her. Seeing my son um, at birth, I was amazed twice. First of all, with new life, this new life, this gift, this, this baby that ha- that, that's born that has no oxygen and taking its first breath, I was amazed at that. I was also amazed at how ugly newborns are. And I know all of you parents, listen, you can tell me whatever you want. There is no good looking newborn baby. I was amazed at that. Being at my daughter's birth also, both my daughters. Wow, new life. There was nothing and now there they are. Being at my first deathbed as a pastor, as as someone breathed out their last breath, amazement. Because where there was someone a breath ago, they are gone. I was amazed at how a body that you know there was something in them is now lifeless. I've been amazed at God's grace in my life. I've been amazed at his blessings, how God has opened doors and protected and provided for us personally as a family and as a church. I've been amazed at nature and creation standing next to oceans and praying and worshiping God and just being in absolute awe of his creation. I've been amazed at talent and ability and skills. There are some people who will leave your jaw on the floor with what they can do. But as I read the gospels, I realize I should not be the standard of what is amazing or being amazed. You shouldn't go just based on me. Jesus only had two things that amazed him that we read about in the Bible. The first one we find in the book of Matthew. This is a very familiar story. Jesus is walking with his his disciples and a centurion soldier, a Roman soldier, a commander, walks up to Jesus and he asks Jesus a favor. Now the disciples were not interested or very excited because he was a Roman soldier, a centurion. Because some of them still thought that Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans, so they weren't interested in a Roman soldier's request. But we read in Matthew 8 verse 5 that says the following, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking him for help. And he said, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. I tell that one come and he comes. 
I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he says, Jesus, I've been watching you. I've been keeping my eye on you, and you are a man of authority like me. You have authority, Jesus. And, and if you want to heal my servant, all you have to do is say the word. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who following him, never have I seen a man with such great faith in all of Israel. In verse 13, he goes on, he says, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would be. And his servant was healed at that moment. Jesus was amazed. Now, what made this different than other encounters that Jesus just had, because Jesus just healed a leper. What made it amazing is that the centurion got it. He understood who Jesus was. He had some understanding of who Jesus was because he recognized the authority of Jesus. And he said, I'm going all in on you, Jesus. Jesus, if, if you choose to do this, you don't even have to come to my house. Jesus, just say the word. And Jesus went, wow, wow, amazed at him. Now, here's an eye-opening fact. And this may be in contrast to, to everything you know or experience with religious people in church. Maybe you've experienced this yourself. An eye-opening fact. Jesus never marveled at anyone's knowledge. Jesus never marveled at anyone's obedience. He never responded to anyone with, wow, you are so smart and knowledgeable and wise. I am amazed at you. I'm amazed at your Bible knowledge. Or probably even a bigger shocker, he was never amazed at anyone's obedience. There is no hall of fame of wise people from the Old Testament in the Bible. There is no hall of fame of obedient people in the Bible, but there is a hall of fame for those who lived by faith. In Hebrews 11, go and read it. It's a fantastic chapter. You should read it. So what was most amazing to him, what he was most amazed at, was with someone with extraordinary faith. And like we said last week, not just head knowledge, not just faith that is talking faith. He was amazed at a life walking faith. That amazed him. Now, the other thing Jesus was most amazed at was the opposite of that. So Jesus goes back to his hometown. He's in his hometown. He starts doing some miracles. Some people are healed. They recognize him. They know who he is. And we read in Mark chapter 6, it says the following. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this amazing wisdom that he's been given? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? And then little hometown jealousy um, kind of creeps into the whole picture. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And then it says, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Two things that most, most amazed Jesus. Great faith 
walked out and a lack of faith. Here is what we should learn, church. Here's what we should learn as we follow Jesus. Jesus' agenda for us was that we would become a people of great faith. That is his desire for the church, for us to become a body filled with great faith. Now, a few reminders from last week. Number one, it's in Hebrews 10.35. It says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. We should desire because we have become the righteous ones of of God because we are in Christ Jesus. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we should desire and have the lifestyle of the righteous walking by faith. You and I should have that. So here's what you've got to ask yourself. Am I living by faith? Are you living a lifestyle of faith? Have I solved the Lord issue in my life? Do I do things his way even when it goes against my opinion and even when my view regarding things are different? Do I have a lifestyle of faith? Now, faith, as used in the Bible, always means faith in the word of God. Everything else changes, not the word of God. So we need to have faith in something that is unchangeable, God's word. So faith, we read in the Bible, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for and is the evidence of things not seen. So faith then must have substance. And as we said last week, the substance is the word of God. Hebrews 11.6, remember the scripture. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is not the one thing you need. Faith is the key thing you need to have a life where you experience God active in your life. You need faith for God to participate in your life. Faith is acting like it is so even when it is not so in order that it might be so simply because God said so, Dr. Tony Evans. So I've had a lot of people uh, since last week, a lot of people said, Andreas, thank you for the message on faith. But I'm not getting it. I don't understand everything that you said. Some of the terms are complicated. Could you please elaborate? Could you please explain it a bit more? Um, and that's what I want to do this morning. I know last week was the introduction to the series to try and define faith, but I just feel that I need to explain it a bit more so, so that we can all move together. So here we go. Based on the amazement of Jesus, we see that Jesus was not moved uh, by the hope or the, the um, wishful thinking of the centurion, but he was moved by the faith of the centurion. What amazed him was that this centurion recognized Jesus as the substance of his faith. Now, I know last week I said that faith in the Bible always refers to the word. Now, allow me to explain that. In John 1 verse 1, it says the following. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And nothing that was created was created without the word. And then in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word that we are referring to that should be our substance 
became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the substance of our faith, the word, the object of our faith. The point of Jesus's ministry was to establish himself as the object for our faith. That Jesus came to die for our sins, be raised, defeat the enemy, but also he came to establish himself as the object for our faith, the substance we need. The night before Jesus was arrested, Jesus had a long, complicated and challenging conversation with his disciples. They're all sitting around and he's busy talking to them. And Jesus was talking about some new things which amazed them and shocked them and, and uh, put some of them to a place where they're not understanding what he's saying. But at the end of the conversation, he says to them, listen, John 14, it says, and he says, listen, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he goes on and says, you believe in God, believe in me also. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, now John, who's the author of this book, John created a phrase in the Greek, Greek right here that doesn't show up in any other Greek literature before this time. In the Greek language, there is no word for the word trust. There is belief or believe or beliefs. And so John is getting to something that is beyond just believe. It's not just that I want you to believe. Um, he's saying there's something greater that I want you to have. So he takes the Greek word for belief and he marries it to a preposition I-N or E-N in the Greek and when they come together, he creates a new word with new substance. And the substance is trust in. Jesus says, you trust in God. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe that. Believe there's the word trust. You trust in God. Trust also in me. Just like you trust and believe in God. Trust and believe in me also. He says, guys, I want to be the substance of your faith. I want to be the object of your faith. But there's something else going on here also. Jesus positioned himself as the object of faith because while he was on earth, Jesus came with the purpose to show us what God is like. So I want to be the object of your faith that you put your faith in. I want to be that object. But I also want to show you something about your father. He says in the Gospels, if you see me, you see the Father. He came to reveal the true nature of God. Now, this is a big issue and this is a big deal. And I want all of you to listen to me right now. If I had to take a survey today, right now where you are, and I ask you to write down what God is like. What do you think God is like? Explain God's nature. Who do you think he is? We will get so many different answers. If I ask this question in church, we will get some really good religious, religious answers and we will get some really good relationship answers. And I think we'll get, uh, in combination, probably a good um, definition of what God is like. If I had to ask this question outside of the church, <laughs> I think we will get a whole bunch of different answers. I think for some of them, we would go, wow. We might be amazed at how inaccurate they are. That's why many people don't serve God. And many people don't want anything to do with Him because of what 
they assume about God, what they think about him. When Jesus showed up, they had many assumptions about God also, and many of those assumptions about God were terribly wrong. And Jesus came to reveal the Father to them, to correct their wrong thinking and their perspective and their perception and their assumptions about God. To many people, this was very offensive that Jesus is bringing correction. And to many of you, you might feel offended also because I want to bring some correction regarding who God is. Jesus was very clear. If you want to know what God is like, watch me. Listen to me, follow me. If you want to know what my father is like, Jesus is saying, watch what I'm doing. Now, this was very offensive to many people, but this is one of the reasons why Jesus came to earth was to reveal the father to us so that we can trust in God. Do you trust in God? Yes, I trust in God. Then Jesus said, trust in me also, but you must have the right understanding of the substance you are trusting in. Some examples, and there are many, but some examples, and many people are still struggling with this one today, and <laughs> this is a big one. In John 9, verse 1 to 3, it says the following, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind, blind from death. So this man was born blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why was he born blind is the question. And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So this man is born blind. They asked, why is he blind? Is it because of his parents' sin or his own sin? Jesus said, not their sin. And the way it's read here in the NIV, it says, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, could it be true that this man's blindness was part of some master plan and was so that the work of God may be manifested in his life. Could that be the reason why this man is blind? Now, the question is, why would God make someone blind for the better part of his life just to heal him someday? Doing it to prove that he can do it, to show that he could, so that God can get glory? Surely God who is love could find a less injurious way to glorify himself. Afflicting someone just to gain glory by stopping his or her affliction sounds more to, for me, like the work of the devil than it sounds like the work of God. The Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now you have to keep this in mind. His ministry was to heal those oppressed by Satan. Nowhere do the Gospels portray Jesus as healing those oppressed by God ever. Rather than God, we must recognize it is Satan. It is the enemy that is the source of all evil. So why then does this verse seem to say that the man's blindness was for the purpose of manifesting God's work? Because it was translated that way from the Greek by modern translators. But thankfully, it does not have to be translated that way. When you read the Greek, it's so important to understand that you can choose which word you want to use. 
based on what you want to communicate. John 3, John 9 verse 3 is better rendered, better translated this way. But let the work of God be displayed in him. So the whole passage would be read this way. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. But let the works of God be displayed in him. Who sinned? Not him, not his parents. But, come on guys, let the work of God now be displayed in him. Many of us would have to change our understanding of God also because that's what we think about God. God causes the sickness and the disease. And Jesus is like, no, he doesn't. That's why I came. There are many, many examples of Jesus constantly correcting our understanding and our thinking about the Father. Because with incorrect thinking and understanding of your Father, your faith will have no effect and your prayers will be irrelevant because they are not anchored to the right substance. Jesus shows us the Father. If the object of your faith is wrong, that you are anchoring it in, your faith will not be of any significance in your life because it's anchored to an insignificant substance and it will not produce life. So Jesus says, you trust God, you believe in God, believe in me also. And we have to trust in God as God actually is. And I want you to know what God is like. And I want your faith anchored in the right substance. Maybe you've been disappointed in God, but you really want to know what he is like. Maybe you're at a place where, you know, I've given up on God, but maybe you should discover what God is really like. And I want to encourage you, read his word. Read his word, but don't begin in Genesis. Because as Jesus said, I came to reveal my father. Begin with Jesus. Jesus isn't simply a character in the story. Jesus is the story. Paul knew this. He was a Pharisee and he persecuted Christians and he called himself the best Pharisee, the Pharisees of all the Pharisees. And then he became a Jesus follower. And he understood better than anyone the relationship between the Jewish religion and now his Christ following lifestyle. And here is what he said to the church of Colossae. He's talking about all religion, but more specifically, the Jewish religion. And he says to them the following, Colossians 2, 17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. Now, you can learn a lot about a shadow, but not all things can be revealed from, the sh from a shadow. You can tell something by the shadow it's casting, but not all things are re revealed by the shadow. When the shadow's real figure shows up, the shadow is far less revealing and insignificant, not because the shadow was incorrect, but because the shadow was incomplete. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ, Colossians 2.17. These are the shadows. So he's talking about them clinging to the Old Testament and the Torah. And he's saying, these, everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of what is to come, but it's not the real thing. 
Christ is the real thing. Now, many of you have grown up with shadows on a reflection. And this has caused your faith to waver, to be uncertain, to be shaky. You struggle to answer some of the hard questions that people in the world keep asking you about God. Paul says, listen, let go of the shadows you are holding on to and get a grip on the real thing. Put your faith in the real thing. This is why Jesus had to explain so many things. And this is also why many of us have some unlearning to do because you are raised and we were raised in the shadow of religion instead of being raised in the substance of Jesus Christ in relationship. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. You want to know who God the Father is? You look at Jesus. And this is important because there is a reason for this. Not simply so that you know more about God, but so that you can establish a relationship with God and have a lifestyle of faith. This is why faith and trust and belief is so important. Because what is the foundation of any relationship? Trust and faith. The base of a relationship is trust. It's not obedience and it's not works. It's trust. Jesus is inviting you to a place where you trust in God. What what was broken between Adam and God? Trust. And that broke the relationship. And Jesus says, I want to be the object again. This relationship that is restored. I want you to put your trust in me. The substance of your faith. Trust me about all and everything that I'm telling you about what God is like. Look at me. I will show you who the Father is. So if you want your faith to grow, grow in your knowledge of the substance, Jesus Christ. I said last week that faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Trust. So here's the question to you. What will you do if you were confident that God is with you? What would you do if you were confident that what God says in his word is truth? This is what I love about people of faith, of great faith that are in my life. They act and react like God is with them. They inspire. They forgive. They sow into people's lives. They show up. They are consistent in their love and their testimony. (laughs) They are kind. And it's as if they have a peace that just transcends all understanding. They are generous. They are faithful. And their faith is not just here in the head or here in the heart. It is here in their lives and they're living it out. And it moves to their feet. And this is what I'm inviting you to. I'm inviting you into this also. I'm inviting you into a life of faith. And that life of faith happens when you have the right anchor, the right substance, the right understanding of your father. And you get the right understanding of your father by looking at Jesus Christ, his perfect representation on the earth. Now, I'm convinced that there are four things which we will dive into the next few weeks, that will help us to have an enduring faith. Who wants an enduring faith? A faith that lasts. I want, I want a faith that lasts. I'm convinced that these four things, because what I've seen in people's lives, are the four things that you need in your life. People who have gone through things and still they remain confident in God. All of them have these four things in their lives 
and they get it straight from the teaching of Jesus. But this act of faith, it also looks different in seasons. And I want you to hear this. You have different seasons of faith, but these four things are always present no matter what the season is. You have teenage faith, those teenagers that are watching. Teenage faith challenges, challenged by your peer pressure, challenged with dealing with anxiety and stress for your career in the future, challenged by parents that are separated and divorced. These four things create stability in your faith for years. University students face different challenges in regards to their faith, intellectual challenges, living alone challenges, responsibility and financial challenges, maturity challenges, marriage faith, people in marriage. There are marriage faith challenges that looks different than single faith challenges. What we can trust God for, having kids faith, that blows up your faith life completely. Perhaps you've been struggled to have kids and you need faith for what's going on. When you struggle to have kids, losing a child faith, losing a husband faith, losing a wife faith, every stage of life, no matter what it is, it has these four things that come into play. And that's what we are going to spend our time on over the next four weeks. I want to encourage you again. Make sure that you tune in because the world needs the body of Christ to live faithful lives. But it has to be anchored in Jesus and in our Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for the instructions in your word and for the amazing examples and that you want to equip us to live lives, lives where we have victory in it. Lives where we can accomplish everything you've called us to accomplish. Father, we want to live a lifestyle of faithfulness. The righteous shall live by faith. That's how I want to live, Father. And I pray that over every person listening to this message, that they will have a desire to live a life of faith. Father, I pray a blessing over every person listening. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Man, everybody, love you. I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.